Welcome to Timeless Truth with Pastor Jim Thomas, a resource of the Village Chapel in Nashville, Tennessee. If you live in the Middle Tennessee area, every Wednesday starting February 4th from 12 to 12.45 p.m., we're hosting our next series of lunchtime talks at the Village Chapel. We'll be looking at the scriptures, studying several encounters with Jesus on his way to the cross. Lunch is provided and we encourage you to bring a coworker or friend. You can register at thevillagechapel.com slash events. This week on the podcast, we're continuing our study of the Gospel of Mark. Now, here's Pastor Jim. So glad you've joined me again for Timeless Truth. Today, we're looking at part two of our three-part series from Mark 13. Uh, Mark 13 contains Jesus' Mount Olivet Discourse. It has parallels in Matthew 24 and also in Luke. I think it's chapter 21. If you want to look and read those, you're welcome to do those. read those parallels on your own. But we've chosen to break up Mark 13 into three sections just because there's so much great stuff here. It's so action-packed. Um, it's full of sobering and shocking and surprising and hopeful instruction from the Lord Jesus. So we've just come through this section, um, verses 1 through 13, where he essentially says, be on the alert, be on guard. He says, take heed. He says, don't be misled. He says, don't be afraid. Be ready to serve as witnesses and persevere unto the end. So now there's a real definite change in verse 14. That's why I broke the text up this way. We're going to go verses 14 through 23 today in part two. And it's a decided change, man. Now he says, run, run, run. What changed? Um, what was Jesus referring to when he said, run, 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 along with the disciples? We want to ask, when will this be and what will be the warning signs? And as with much of biblical prophecy, we find that there could be multiple layers of fulfillment to what Jesus was talking about. First, let me read the text and then I'll make a few comments and close with a couple of quotes uh, for today's study on timeless truth. Verse 14 through 23 then is what we'll look at, okay? Um, it starts like this. When you see the abomination of desolation, and that happens to be in all caps, by the way, and it harkens back to Daniel chapter 9, chapter 11, chapter 12, all in Daniel's gospel, If uh, for those of you that are Old Testament students. Uh, when you see the abomination of desolation standing where it should not be, and then in parentheses, Mark has, let the reader understand. And uh, I don't know about you, but sometimes I find myself able to kind of get it. And other times I find myself scratching my head and it just calls me into deeper study, which is not a bad thing. That's a good thing. Uh, but here it is, G Mark quoting Jesus as saying, when you see the abomination of desolation standing where it should not be, let the reader understand, then those who are in Judea must flee to the mountains. Judea is the southern third of Israel, ancient Israel. And this seems quite targeted, very specific to a geographic region. 
And I'm going to I'm going to suggest that uh, Jesus is talking about something that will have a very near fulfillment. But let me continue. Those who are in Judea, let them flee or run to the mountains. The one who is on the housetop must not go down or go in to get anything out of his house. And the one who is in the field must not turn back to get his coat. The idea is run, run, run. And then he says, but woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days, but pray that it may not happen in the winter. Well, there's a great sense of urgency here, isn't there? Um, and it's so different from what he had said in verses 1 through 13, especially the way it ended up in verse 13. The one who endures to the end will be saved. Um, that's, that's kind of a clue for us in terms of interpreting this and understand, letting the reader understand here, right? Pray that it may not happen in the winter. Verse 19, for those days will be a time of tribulation such as has not occurred since the beginning of the creation which God created until now and never will. Wow, that's, and again, this is Jesus speaking. Um, he was there at the creation event, according to John chapter one, according to Colossians chapter one. And so that's, for him to say that, that's, that's really, really amazing. Verse 20, unless the Lord had shortened those days, no life would have been saved. But for the sake of the elect whom he chose, he shortened the days. I love verse 20. It's, we'll come back to it, but I mean, I just want you to know there's all kinds of hope there. And verse 21, we'll go down to 23. And then if anyone says to you, behold, here is the Christ, or behold, he's there, do not believe him. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and will show signs and wonders in order to lead astray, if possible, the elect. But take heed. Behold, I have told you everything in advance. And we're going to stop right there. The rest of the chapter will it is also astonishing, amazing, hopeful. It's about the return of Christ. But for now, these are further signs of the sort of end of days. Um, now, I'm going to suggest that this particular section um, is actually uh, speaking about something that happens and, and has near fulfillment, as opposed to we see with prophecy, so many prophecies in the Old Testament and in the New Testament that have kind of a multiple layers of fulfillment. This one to me and, and to a lot of the Bible commentators that I've read anyway, is uh, more likely talking about an event that happens in uh, AD 70. Um, here's Jesus in roughly 30 AD. And I think he's prophetically predicting what will happen 40 years later um, uh, toward the end of the great Jewish-Roman war. And that war was uh, 66 to 70 AD. Uh, some would say, actually, they'd extend that out to 73 AD because the, the, the last stand of the Jews was at Masada, and uh, that fell in 73 AD. But 
Jerusalem itself, the temple itself, um, destroyed in 70 AD uh, when General Titus came through and literally uh, dismantled uh, the temple complex. Not one stone left on another. Does that sound familiar to you? Uh, if you listen to yesterday's episode, it ought to. Um, this is exactly what Jesus predicted back in the 30s, you know, 30 AD, would happen and it gets fulfilled in 70 AD. Verses 14 through 18 here, I think paint a time of uh, desperate urgency uh, and instruct full, fast, and furious retreat. Run, run, run. Whether one is on a rooftop, whether one is out in the field, so whether you're in the city or out in the country, uh, further warnings are issued to women who are pregnant, those who are tending to their young, uh, mothers nursing their babies, that kind of image is there as well. And certainly this section found its fulfillment in 70 AD. That's true. I mean, uh, when those Romans come through, when Jerusalem starts to fall, um, run is what they should have done. And Josephus, the uh, Jewish historian, uh, writing about that time period, describes uh, with gory detail the kinds of things that happened uh, in and around that time. And to have to have fled the area, to have left altogether, would have been a smart thing to do. Verses 19 through 20 of what we just read seems to me to broaden the time frame really to the, you know, a, a, a longer throw, a longer fulfillment, if you will. Although continuing to paint a season of dire and unparalleled circumstances, yet these two verses still provide the hope of a sovereign God who has the power to, and I love the, the way it's phrased there by Jesus in verses 19 through 20. Look at it yourself. Cut the time short, which he does for the sake of his people. And I, man, that is, that is just wonderful. In the midst of uh, uh, all of the world seeming to fall apart, we're reminded in verses 19 and 20, unless the Lord had shortened these days, no life would have been saved. But for the sake of the elect whom he chose, he shortened the days. There's only one entity, one, uh, one being that has the power to shorten the time, to shorten the days, to direct, to truncate, to um, uh, bifurcate history like that, and that's God himself. And we're told that he does for the sake of his chosen ones. That's so beautiful. Verses 21 through 23 remind those who choose to follow Jesus that they will need to remain faithful to Jesus in the face of many alternate claims and offers made by those who appear performing signs and wonders. A lot of what they say will make sense. It will tickle our ears. It will seem pleasing to us. It'll have some sense of um, uh, perhaps even a, uh, appealing to our heart, if you will, our emotions, um, our, our sentimentality or our uh, nostalgia. There are all kinds of ways in which um, things that are not true, false Christs, 
might appear and sound like they would make sense, sound like they might be our savior in a way. Think this way. Um, do this. Wouldn't God really want you to be happy? Um, or all, if I go all the way back to the garden, those, those words of the serpent, did God really say dot, dot, dot? And uh, it's those kinds of messages we need. And Jesus is warning us about, and we need to watch out for those. Um, reminding us to stay faithful to him in face of all of those alternate claims and offers made by those who even here in this verse um, will perform signs and wonders, uh, all of which have a goal. Um, and, and that goal is leading people away from Jesus. Um, they will have a result. That, that same thing is is the result that they hope to accomplish, which is leading people away from the faith. And we see this, and of course we've seen this for years and years and years, the efforts of many to pull us away from the word of God, to pull us away from the gospel, to pull us away ultimately from Jesus himself. Uh, it's you know, it's manifested in in culture, in and throughout culture, just in some really almost, you know, seemingly meaningless kinds of ways. But have you ever noticed how the name of Jesus is uniquely used and trivialized um, at a sports event when people will not like the call of a referee? Uh, no one ever says, oh, Buddha, ref. Or, oh, Mohammed, ref. But they will deploy the name of Jesus. Um, and his name will be trivialized, but no one else's. And that, that just tells us something about the way we have been schooled or formed to think about Jesus. Um, so, and that kind of reminds me of what we studied in the first part of chapter 13 with it, verses 5, verse 9, verse 23, 33, and 37. Be on the alert. Be on guard. Take heed. Don't be misled. Verse 7, don't be afraid. And I love that Jesus is equipping us. He's equipping his disciples as we read this here from the Mount Olivet Discourse. His teachings, it's the second longest of Jesus' teachings in the, in the four Gospels. And here he takes the time, right before the cross, he takes the time to equip his followers, his disciples, those whom he loves so much, to tell them the reality of how days are going to get dark and difficult, and yet at the same time to provide hope that he's ultimately in charge. He can shorten the time. He can shorten the days uh, for the sake of his chosen ones. I, I, I so moved when I read this kind of um, um, disposition of the heart of Jesus, even in the midst of giving us this kind of hard truth, difficult truth, at the same time making sure to fill it with hope. And I, I'm very excited about it. I hope you won't miss tomorrow, the next episode, if it's tomorrow or not. I don't know when you'll be listening to it, but the next episode where we talk about the return of Christ um, referred to, I don't know, I think it's something like a couple hundred times. Uh, and I don't think we spend enough time talking about it because it fills us with such great hope. A couple of quotes for you, and then I'll let you go for the day. James K.A. Smith is a philosopher and a theologian who has written several books I really do enjoy. 
And uh, he's, he's prolific in ar- writing articles as well. He's got a writing called Understanding the Past Facing the Future Living Faithfully Now. In that, he says, an eschatological orientation isn't only about future expectation, but also a recalibration of our present. And I think what he's on to right there is that these uh, kinds of things that Jesus is, is talking about here in Ch- Mark chapter 13. And if you uh, prefer to spend some time in uh, Matthew 24 or Luke 21, you, the kinds of things that Jesus is talking about are to fill us with hope and to also recalibrate our present. In other words, in light of all that Jesus is saying here, how should we then live? How should we respond to Jesus. And as I've said before about Mark's gospel in particular, it seems to me that the original author is attempting to get us to ask and ponder the question, who is Jesus and how should we respond to Jesus? And James K. Smith is just simply saying, this isn't only about the future. This is about the way you recalibrate the present right now. And I think he's, I think he's right about that. Tish Harrison Warren, some of you will be familiar with her book, Prayer in the Night. Uh, if you've been in and around the ministry of the Village Chapel, there have been a number of small groups that have used that book. Uh, as a small group curriculum. And uh, I, she's a great writer and uh, a, a great Christian thinker. I appreciate so much what she says in Prayer in the Night. She says, if we have any hope at all, our hope is eschatological, that God will at last make this sad old world new again, you see. That's it. That's, that is it. It's a, it is a future hope, but it actually impacts us now. I, I love these two quotes together. I'll put them in the show notes. So uh, if the platform you're listening to or watching this uh, podcast on uh, is, uh, ha- has a, a, a place for show notes, you can, you'll, you'll have access to these. If not, go to thevillagechapel.com and you can search the website there. You'll be able to find the show notes for this podcast. And those quotes will be there. I'm so excited about the next episode as well. I hope that you'll take the time to listen to all three of them in a row and perhaps even send them on to your friends, especially as the world around us, as as it gets dark or chaotic or empty or meaningless or seems uh, to be in such decline, uh, where should we, where can we turn for hope? And I say we turn to Jesus. He's the one who's in charge of human history. And his plans and his purposes will be accomplished. He's the one that can actually cut short the time. <laughs> and he, he's, if you're in, if you're in charge of the, you know, space-time continuum. You're certainly worthy of our praise and worship, and you're also worthy of our trust. So let's continue to turn to him, to trust in him, and to hope in him. Let me close in prayer. Um, Lord Jesus, yes, yes, yes. We thank you for your words here. We take them to heart. We 
we want to be awakened, to be stirred, to, to um, uh, Lord, be living out the gospel to, in, in word and in deed so that others would be encouraged, even in these dark and chaotic times. And I, I find myself, even as I share the gospel with others, even as I study the gospel and preach it to myself effectively, Lord, that hope is stirring. So I pray that you would do that for my friends, my brothers and sisters, whether here in Nashville or in the U.S. or around the world. Uh, as we study your word together, may the Holy Spirit um, give us a clearer vision of your truth, a greater faith in your power, and a more confident assurance of your love for us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. God bless you. Have a great day. Thanks for listening to today's study. Take a moment to leave a review and share this episode with friends and family. You can stay connected by signing up for our newsletter or follow us on social media. At the Village Chapel, we believe God's Word is unique in its source, timeless in its truth, broad in its reach, and transforming in its power. For more resources or to support our ministry, visit our website, thevillagechapel.com.